the last weekend of January, I'm ending this whole uh, January series on uh, a new season, new things. We spoke about a new heart, a new commandment. Uh, can't remember last week it was what? New what? New wineskins, new hope, all right? And today, we're going to talk about the new and living way, all right? Uh, I will not be summarizing the last four messages. This message is just, I'm just wondering whether we have enough time. Okay, uh, the PowerPoint, the new and living way. And I'm just going to exegete this whole text from Hebrews 10, 19 to 25, all right? Uh, I'm going to go through almost word by word, line by line. Um, but just by way of introduction, what we believe is very important. Right belief, right doctrine will lead to right deeds. What we believe will impact how we behave, how we live our lives. So you look at Scripture in the book of Ephesians, for example. Uh, chapter 1 to 3 give us all the glorious theological truths about God, about the grace of God that is available. Uh, for those of you who are new, all right, the outline of the entire message is available on the BPTC website, or you can go out to the reception to get a hard copy. Uh, and therefore, chapter 4 to 6 of Ephesians teaches us how to receive this grace by faith. Okay? Grace is available, everything that we need. Same thing in the book of Romans. Chapter 1 to 11 talks about the doctrine of salvation. And chapter 12 to 16, all the practical instructions. Similarly, in the book of Hebrews, all right, it uh, follows the same pattern. So we come to verse 19 of chapter 10 of Hebrews. It says, Therefore, after all that we have considered, what have we considered uh, in the whole book of Hebrews? We went through the whole of Hebrews last year. Chapter 1 to 4, that Christ is superior to all in His personhood. Uh, chapter 5, verse 10 to chapter uh, 18, Christ is superior to all in His priesthood. And then from chapter 19 onwards, we're going to talk about this encouragement to persevere in our faith as we live in a fallen world, all right, from our new position in Christ. So the outline of for today's message is just these two broad themes. <clears throat> Number one, the Lord Jesus is the new and living way. The Lord Jesus is the new living way. And because of that, what are the three exhortations? What are the three instructions, uh, the three encouragements that the writer to Hebrews tells us, the church? All right? The Lord Jesus is the new and living way. If you look at verse 19 to 21, very simple verse, it says, Therefore, brethren, having bonus to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His body, His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Jesus is the new and living way. How? Two important truths. Number one, His perfect blood. The perfect blood of Jesus. And number two, Jesus is the perfect high priest over all of us. We are the house of God. Okay? I'm going to give scriptures later on to substantiate this. So remember these two things. The perfect blood of Jesus and the perfect high priest we have in Jesus. So let's look at the perfect blood of Jesus. We have the perfect blood of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 to 4 reminds us in a summary that prior to Calvary, what the Israel do? They bring the blood of bulls and goats. But it was temporary. It could never take away sins. It could never make, in verse, uh, at the end of verse 1, the words in red, make those who approach God perfect. It was temporary. The people still have the consciousness of sin, which is why they are reminded year by year to bring those sacrifices. And it's not possible, not possible at all for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. In chapter 9, verse 14, it contrasts that with the blood of Jesus. He says, how much more should the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Our conscience is our sense of right and wrong. Our conscience is a part, a major function in our spirit man. You know, there are three major functions in our spirit man. Number one, our relationship with God. Number two is our conscience, our sense of right and wrong. And number three is what we call our sensing, our perceiving, our discernment, our gut feel. Three main functions, our relationship with God, our conscience, and our discernment. And it says that we have the perfect blood of Jesus, and we have learned over the years from this pulpit, the divine exchange. That when Jesus died for us, the divine exchange took place. 
And it's very clearly uh, mentioned in 2 Corinthians 5.21. So you look at the slide. I've added some notes in bracket. He says, God, God the Father, made Him the Lord Jesus Christ. So the divine exchange, God the Father made Jesus Christ who had no sin. He was perfect. All right? To be sin for us means He took our sins. So on my right hand is the Lord Jesus Christ. He had no sin. My left hand is man. We are sinners. So all our sins, the man's sin, have been placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And in exchange, all right, the verse says, so that in Christ we have, we become the righteousness of God. Jesus is righteous. He has no sin. He doesn't deserve death. Man is a sinner. He deserves death. But our sins was placed on Christ. He died on man's behalf so that his righteousness is now given to us for all those who believe and receive him. Okay, very simple. We call this the divine exchange. And this divine exchange is perfect, it's complete. Because we know from scriptures, no matter how much we try to do good, Galatians 3.10 and James 2.10 tells us, if you can obey 90, 95%, 99% of all the commandments, but if we fail in one commandment, we have failed to obey the entire commandment. Because it's not perfect. Only Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law and the entire commandments. And because His blood was perfect, now we can have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Prior to Calvary, in the Old Testament saints, they never had the indwelling Holy Spirit. They had a temporary anointing on to enable them, to empower them to do the exploits for God. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, he prophesied. <clears throat> the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, he provided leadership for the war against the Midianites. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, he tore the lion apart. It is always temporary, the anointing on. But after Calvary, because Jesus' blood perfectly cleansed and covered us, now the Holy Spirit, who is God, can dwell in you and I. Prior to Calvary in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit cannot dwell in them because they were unclean in the eyes of God. They were still sinful and defiled by their sins. Only the blood of Jesus is perfect. And we know from 1 Corinthians 6, 19, don't you know that your life, your body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? We are a privileged group called the church. We are a holy nation. We are a chosen generation. We are a royal presum. And we are from God. And verse 20, 1 Corinthians 6, we were bought at a price. And what is the price? 1 Peter 1, 19 tells us is we are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. The precious blood of Jesus. And therefore, we need to know not only we have the perfect blood of Jesus, we have a perfect high priest over the house of God. In the past, in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they go through the high priest. They go through the priest and the high priest who enters the holy of holies once a year and with fear and trembling. You hear the story, right? They will tie a rope on his right ankle and they will loosen the rope as he walks from the outer court into the holy place and into the holy of holies in case he's struck dead. If he's struck dead, they will just pull out his body, all right, by pulling the, the rope that is tied around his ankle. And each of these three, they're all human. They all died. Hebrews 7, 23, there were many priests from the tribe of Levi. They were prevented by death from continuing forever and ever. And whenever a high priest died, like when Aaron died, Aaron was the first high priest, his son, Eliezer, took over him, but not Jesus. Hebrews 7, verse 2 to 3, to whom Melchizedek, Abraham gave a tenth part of his tithe to the king of righteousness, to the king of Salem, to the king of peace. And of the order of Melchizedek, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of this nor the end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Melchizedek is a, what we call a Christophany. It is Christ himself. The high priest Melchizedek in Genesis, even before God instituted the priesthood through the tribe of Levi. Melchizedek, unheard of. And Jesus came from the order of Melchizedek, a superior, the perfect high priest. Hebrews 7, verse 16, He has come 
not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. The Father testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, because it is divine. But so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. But he, because he continues forever, Jesus continues forever. He has an unchangeable priesthood. The high priest does not change, unlike those from the tribe of Levi. When one dies, another takes over. But Jesus is a priest forever. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost all who come to God through him, because he always makes intercession for them. 1 Timothy 2.5 reminds us that Jesus is the mediator between man and God. He is the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus was fully God, fully man. But when he came to earth, he operated in his ministry 100% as man. He put aside his divine powers. We know that from Philippians chapter 2. Had he come and operated as God, the devil will say his God is unjust, God is unfair. The first Adam sinned and fell. Jesus came as the last Adam. He took back the keys that the first Adam gave to the devil. Access to God, dominion over the entire earth. So Jesus, the man, the son of man, is our perfect high priest. Therefore, the writer to Hebrews tells us, because we have the perfect blood of Jesus and the perfect high priest, there are three things he is exhorting us to do. All right? So from the whole passage, having the blood of Jesus, a high priest over the house of God, the words in red on the slide, there are three things. He said, let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us consider one another. All right? Firstly, let us draw near to God, fully assured in faith. Let me, let's tackle one at a time. Draw near to God, fully assured in faith. We are to draw near to God confidently and with bonus. Why? Because this is because the blood of Jesus can perfectly and completely forgive us, cleanse us, and cover us. We have learned this, all right? I'm giving a lot of summary because a lot of the details of this teaching has been over the years from this pulpit. Whenever we partake of the Holy Communion, whenever we drink the cup, always remember the appropriate the blood of Jesus. Number one, it is shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Number two, it will, it will cleanse us because every sin defiles us. And number three, it will cover us. Cover us so that the devil has got no open door into our lives to attack us. Here we are encouraged to draw near, to draw confidently. But do you know that this is only after Calvary, after Pentecost? In the Old Testament, if you read in Exodus chapter 19, when God appeared to Moses and Israel on Mount Sinai, God gave very clear instructions to Moses and to Aaron. Make sure you set boundaries. The people don't come near the, the mountain. Make sure they stay away. They were commanded not to draw near. Why? Because they are defiled. Why? Their sins are not perfectly covered. Had they not drawn near and even touched the mountain, if you read in the verse, in the passage of Exodus 19, they will be struck dead. That is the idea and why we have the phrase, God is a consuming fire. God is a consuming fire. God is holy, is perfectly holy, and only those, which is us, the church, believers in Jesus Christ, we are perfectly covered by the blood of Jesus. And therefore, the exhortation is completely different prior to Calvary. And each time they come, they say, oh, let, let Aaron represent us, let the high priest represent us. There is this fear of God, but not in the New Testament, not after Calvary. Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near with a heart, true heart in full assurance of faith. Our fallenness inclines us to undo the finished works of Christ. So some people, they say, oh, maybe I serve God, all right? We think like the pagans. What is the pagan thing? It's like uh, a scale, two sides of the scale, all right? One side is our, our sins that is piled up. And we try to do good works, or, or rather our sins push us down. We try to do good works to compensate. Maybe serve God as an usher. We are short of uh, helpers. We are short of traffic controllers. We are short of people serving in the service team. Maybe you can help the audiovisual team. We're short of people doing lighting or, or the musician. 
We think that by our good works, somehow or other, we earn some brownie points. We, we, we try to tip the scale. This is wrong thinking. The best of our good works are filthy rags. We can never buy our way to the presence of God. We can never do good works to please God until we are first cleansed and forgiven and covered by the blood of Jesus. So we try to bring our own offerings for our sins in order to draw near to God. I don't have to mention that there are other belief systems that promotes this, that promotes this about bringing our good works. So we need to settle up front. There's nothing, nothing we can do to earn the favour of God. It's all due to His mercy and grace. And this is what Israel under the Old Testament did again and again and again. Romans 10, 3, For they were ignorant of God's righteousness, and they seek to establish their own righteousness. This is the word. Their own righteousness. They have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Why? And this is the statement Paul wrote, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He's the end. All that's required is for us to place our trust in Him and give our lives to Him. And we do so by faith. And after we are saved, then we are encouraged to do good works. For by mercy and grace are we saved. The issue is what? The issue is a guilty conscience and condemnation each time we fail. There is a guilty conscience because none of us are perfect. Not the pastors, not me, not the elders. We are not perfect. We try to walk with God and, and the whole idea of this exhortation, let us keep on drawing near to God, fully assured in faith. Because sometimes we fail, you lose your temper. Sometimes when you look after your children and then they irk you, like by the very unfortunate incident, we hear about the two little boys who were drowned, who died. And from what I gather, one is an ADHD child, one is an autistic child, very tough. And we understand family with special children, which is why we, uh, through Pastor Jeff and the, and the other helpers and, and volunteers, we set up this ministry called GLOW. All right, God Loves Overcomes. Uh, and meeting, we are meeting regularly every two weeks for special children, all right? So to speak. And some of them are not children anymore. They are young adults. Uh, so there are many things that trip us in life. The way we think, the way we feel, the way we relate to one another, we all have skeletons in the closet. But don't ever try to compensate it by trying to do good works. Don't ever try to compensate it by doing our own righteousness. So this guilty conscience and condemnation comes from the devil. The devil will remind us. The devil will accuse us. But we are encouraged to draw near with our conscience already cleansed by faith. By faith, we have to believe that our sins are forgiven. By faith, we have to believe that it is under the blood of Jesus when we want John 1, 9. When you fail to be kind to your spouse, when you fail to treat your spouse as the weaker vessel, the husband's treating your wife as the weaker vessel. 1 Peter 3, 7 tells us that. And therefore, uh, give her the understanding. Don't have to rebut word for word. Just take a deep breath. All right. Uh, solo, I understand that very well. And uh, just bless your wife. <laughs> We are encouraged to draw near with our conscience already cleansed by faith, even when we don't feel that we are forgiven. What is the key word here? By faith. We draw near to God fully assured in faith. Faith in what? The promises of God. Faith in the Word of God. Guilty conscience is from our attempts by works rather than by faith. Hence, the encouragement to continually draw near to God, fully assured in faith. Faith in Christ's finished work. The perfect blood of Jesus and Jesus, our perfect high priest. Don't try to re-establish our own righteousness. Isaiah 64 spells out very clearly that our own righteousness are as filthy rags. Mindful that we are a new creation in Christ. We are a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And because Jesus always makes intercession for us. So what is this first application? Knowing that it's the perfect blood of Jesus, the perfect high priest, just press in, draw near to God. All right? And not only does he say that uh, we're having our heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Notice it is past tense. Our heart sprinkled past tense. 
by the blood of Jesus. So when Jesus died on the cross, our conscience is is pure, is clean. And our bodies, our lives wash past tense. And we demonstrate that by our water baptism. We declare in water baptism, we already died with Christ. And now in our Christian life, we walk in this new life. So there is this tension. The positional truth and our practical day-to-day. Positional truth, all our sins are forgiven. We have a pure conscience. But practical, we are still have our fallen body. We still do wrong things and so forth. All right? But how shall we live? We should always live out of our position in Christ. Hebrews 10, 14. <clears throat> By one sacrifice, Jesus has perfected. The word is perfected, past tense, forever. But I want to emphasize the second line. See, this is where there is a stream of Christianity that says that you are forever forgiven, cleansed, and covered. Therefore, you can live your lives any whole way you want. That's half the truth. What is the other half of the truth? The second part of this sentence. We are perfected forever those who are being sanctified, being set apart. So as we are set apart, sanctified, walking in our Christian life, we have a perfect conscience, we are perfectly forgiven, we are perfectly cleansed. So it is this tension that we need money to live, all right? And not the other stream that says that all our sins are forgiven, therefore live our lives any any old way we want. We can't. We must be continuously sanctified. That means wanting to live a holy life, to be sanctified is to be holy, to be set apart, to live our lives according to the Word of God as led by the Spirit of God. This is a very important truth. This is the verse to rebuke and, uh, those who just claim about the super-duper grace and that's all. No, the super-duper grace is at a high price. God cannot be mocked. We will reap what we sow. All right? So Jesus is perfect forever. On the one hand, He's perfect forever. Who? Those who are being sanctified. I have mentioned before, James chapter 4, verse 6 to 10. He has given us some handles to draw near to God. Some handles, all right? We're talking about drawing near to God fully assured in faith. Uh, there are, so to speak, four steps. The first step is we need to humble ourselves whenever we come to God. Verse 6, all right, of James chapter 4. Humble yourself so that we receive grace. We must always come with the posture of humility, but confidently and boldly, not in ourselves, but in Christ. Secondly, we submit to God. We submit to God as our Lord. We come under new management, new leadership, Thirdly, and that is where the battle is, when we talk about spiritual warfare, we encounter this on a day-to-day basis. I mentioned in the past, this spiritual warfare, resisting the devil, is a continuum. Daily, we need to recognize the devil's lies, the devil's accusations, the devil's deception, the devil's condemnation. So what do we need to do? We need to resist him. And church, we have learned, all right? We pray and submit to God as a priest, we resist the evil one as a king. We rebuke and command as a king. I'll give you an example in a moment. Then we draw near to God, and God will draw near to us. So this drawing near to God, according to James, is the fourth step. We need to do the other three, three steps. We have also learned, church, there, there are three sources of thoughts, of propositions, of suggestions in our life. It's either from men, or from the Holy Spirit, which is the Word of God, or from the evil one. So we need to recognize the three sources. From the Holy Spirit, He will always give you peace. As an example, He will give us wisdom. He will pour the love of the Father in our hearts. He will give us grace and mercy and so on and so forth. That comes from the Holy Spirit. From the evil one, what does He do? He put lies. He makes us feel very guilty. There's condemnation from the evil one. Fears, anxieties stress, and you will just add sugar, pepper, pie to worsen it, and which is why you have this whole issue about mental health, this whole issue of people who are so stressed, and trying to cope with life, working from home, working from office, traveling, all right, uh, wearing your mask, and now we know with this Omicron, all right, infection, the health minister has already said he's expecting up to 10,000 cases a day, right now we are seeing 5,000 over a day, why? Because it's highly transmissible, all right, but the effect is relatively low. 99 point whatever percent, all right, really are asymptomatic. 
really got a couple of people among the staff who is really a confirmed positive. And because they're positive, people all start receiving health risk warning. Health risk warning test itself is very lazy, very loss all, all right? But this is a uh, move towards the endemic stage in public health, which the government has taken on this, this posture. So what do we need to do when the devil reminds you of your sin? When the devil condemns you and lies to you, the Bible says you receive... Oh dear, where did that come from? He says, you receive the evil one and he will flee from you. You throw a bomb. <laughs> you bomb him out of your mind. You bomb him out of your life. That's the idea. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Throw that grenade. You take captive that thought, that idea that is not in line with scriptures. And that's how we live our Christian life. I've struggled many, many years all right, as a Christian, in my earlier part, remember the first 25 years, I'm 68, now walking with God for 55 years. And until I had my, a, a great encounter with God, a renewal when I was about 38 years old, all right, it was up, down, all right, when all my travels in the banking world for 20 over years, traveling here, traveling there, doing whatever you are doing, all right. And there's always this guilt, all right, on the come to church, you feel good. After a moment, the devil reminds me of our sins, remind me of your past, all right, from your teenage day, from when I was, when I was a child, I was a thief. Very good in stealing. <laughs> stealing from my father's wallet. Up to university days, short of allowance. Ah, go to his wallet. Yeah, he has this, a lot of stacks of $10. Just take a few. All right. uh, entitled. He didn't forget to give me allowance. Just take. All right. I remember doing all those kinds of things. And the devil will never fail to remind you. I shot this video some time ago. Watch this. How this lady prayed and received the revelation. Submit to God. Pray. Resist the devil. She got the revelation.
at this stage, we are clap, 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 clap. <laughs> All right. Uh, for those who are not aware, war room is about her. Yeah, give clap, clap, praise the Lord. It's about her husband, all right, who is traveling on business in another city, flirting around with another woman, and so forth. Whatever our troubles are, daily, all right, we take authority, as you have learned in this church, as a priest, we pray, pray all you want to pray. As a king, we command. We pray to God, but as a king, we command the evil one. We resist the devil. Alright, so a quick recap. We always humble ourselves before God to receive His grace. We submit to His Lordship. We pray as a priest. We seize the devil and the Bible promises us He will flee from us, rebuke as a king, draw near to God. You see, all of us will struggle at one stage of our lives. I did for 25 years, even as a Christian. But the encouragement here is, is, is let us draw near to God with a full assurance of faith. That means keep on drawing near to God. How do you keep on drawing near to God? Come to church. How do you keep on drawing near to God? Worship God. How do you keep on drawing near to God? Respond to the words of knowledge. How do you keep on drawing near to God? Have a brother, a sister pray for you. I was, I was having uh, a breakfast with, with a brother just this week. And he has stopped attending church. He's backslidden. But he says every day, all right, he receives this devotional from his BSF leader. He has actually left the BSF group. But he kept that, that, that chat. And he says, this devotional that the leader sends every day has kept his mind sane and kept him connected with God. So keep on drawing near to God, fully assured in faith, until you have a breakthrough. Now, when I use this word breakthrough, it's a, it's a sort of a promotion, it's sort of, of an uplift in your Christian life. Keep on drawing near to God in your struggles. We all have struggles. Let's say in the past, it was 98% struggles, 2% walking with God. The breakthrough turns it the other way around. Now, your struggles are still there, but it's dropped to below 50%. Now, your breakthroughs with God is more than 50%. You are now an overcomer believer. Now, you have a season of being God-conscious than sin-conscious. You are seasoned that God is with you more so than being always discouraged, disappointed, despondent. Now you're walking in victory six times out of ten. And increasingly, seven times out of ten. In the past, you are in defeat nine out of ten times. Shift. I want to encourage you. This was my journey. This is the journey of a lot of people. Keep on drawing near to God, fully assured in faith. That's the whole idea. Draw near to God. So what does the devil do? The devil cannot harm you physically. But the devil will lie to you. He will discourage you. Let's say you come to church Let's say you haven't been in church for a while, or you'll not be watching online, worshipping God, all right? Then somehow or other, he will stir somebody. Maybe you meet, all right, not, not our current service team. They're all very friendly. Let's say you meet someone on the service team and say, where's your tag? You're supposed to be in the blue zone. Why are you sitting in the, what, red, what zone is it? Yellow zone, all right? Or purple zone, all right? And then you get all upset. And then you came there, you want to sit somewhere in the middle. The usher wants to usher you all the way to the front. You can get, get upset with anything, and that throws you off your equilibrium. And you don't want to draw near to God. And some people, they've come all the way to church, and then they're disappointed with the usher or the traffic controller, or too cold or too hot, they walk out of church. You miss it. You allow the devil to steal and gradually to want to kill your spiritual life. Don't allow the devil to do that. That's why this, this admonition, the writer says we have the perfect blood of Jesus, the perfect high priest. Jesus already died for us. Let us draw near. Keep on drawing near. And that's why I want to encourage all of you. Do I have disappointments? Do I have discouragement? Now, still have, all right, but it's less. And each time when you are discouraged, guard our hearts. Guard our hearts from being hardened. Guard our hearts from that disappointment and keep on drawing near, all right? The second admonition, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. That word, a word which we learn in BBTC, hold fast. Hold fast is to hold tightly. Everything in life, hold, but hold loosely. Your marriage, your children, your finances, your job, your relationship, you still hold, but you hold loosely. You only hold two things extremely tightly. Number one, the Word of God. Number two, your relationship with God. So this is the exhortation. Hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. You see, this word hold fast is repeated again and again in different parts of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 3.6, Christ is 
the son over his own house, whose house we are. We are the house of God. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end, it's conditional. Hebrews 3.14, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Our confidence is not in ourselves, it's in Christ. Christ's finished works on the cross. Hebrews 4.14 says the same thing. Let us hold fast our confession. And verse 23 here, hold fast our confession of our hope without wavering. Why does uh, the writer writes additional words, hold fast without wavering? Because we will waver. Have I wavered? Many a times. They are responding to the right calling to become a pastor. <laughs> Should I remain in the banking world? All right. Uh, have I heard God correctly uh, in this? Why am I still short of two or two, three things which the Lord did not answer? You also have a press that has not answered. I also got a press that has not answered. Why when I pray for this person, this person died. This person healed and so forth. You see, it's all in the details. Because our relationship with God is a very personal relationship with God. Therefore, our prayers have to be very personal and very specific. Why? He says here, because he who promised is faithful. The Lord is faithful. And last week, a pastor Sandy shared with us on two unchanging, immutable things. The promises of God, the oath of God. God swears, so to speak, by His word. God is not man that should, He should lie. The Lord Jesus Himself hears our confession and responds accordingly. Hebrews 3.1 gave, gave Him this name. He is the apostle and high priest. I can be say high priest of a lot of things, but He's the high priest of our confession. What we confess, what we speak with our mouths. Therefore, it is very important what we speak with our mouths. Our mouth speaks from the overflow of our hearts. What is constantly in our hearts? That's why we are told to guard our hearts. Guard our hearts from being hardened each time there's a disappointment. Guard our hearts from being, uh, having a spirit of unbelief. Guard our hearts from anything that defiles us. Proverbs 4.23, guard our hearts. Hebrews 3 tells us the two things we need to guard, unbelief. Did God really promise you did God really say that? Did the pastor really quote it from the Bible? What is the promise of God and my actual experience? There is a big gap. That gap is our trial of faith. You exchange vows with your wife 30 years ago. I'm married now for 40, coming to 42 years. All right. Uh, is it a, a bit of roses all the way? No, but it's getting better and better like wine. All right. There are fights, there are quarrels, and so forth. The promises of God, God from unbelief, God from it being hardened. These two words. Last year, in the month of May, when we covered the book of Hebrews, these two words popped up at me. God it from unbelief. Do I even entertain unbelief? I sure do. We all do. Big or small, one measure or the other, we must guard and take captive their thought. Then we must be conscious of what we confess because death and life is in the power of the tongue. Don't, don't anyhow say things. And sometimes we say, I don't care, I'm angry, all right. And after that, you regret and so forth. So sometimes I help. Now I'm more conscious. From a struggling believer, I'm an overcomer believer. So sometimes I say, whoops. Or say, I say, Lord, forgive me. In the meeting, maybe I shouldn't have said that because so and so and do and do were present at the meeting. They shouldn't have heard what I said. <laughs> So what do I do? I say, Lord, would you nullify what I've said? Would you forgive me, cleanse me, and cover me? All right? So we all will sometimes say things, do things that are wrong. What do we do? Immediately, 1 John 1, 9. Draw near to God. You see, but that is a time when we don't feel like drawing near to God. The devil says, see, you're a hypocrite. See, you got a short fuse. See, you got a temper. See, you sin again. It reminds you of your sin. That's what the devil does. That's why you must bomb him out of your mind. Bomb him out of your life. 2 Corinthians 4, 10, I believe, I speak. So one of the things uh, which I mentioned before, just remind us again, because of Jesus' perfect blood, perfect high priest, the perfect work on the cross, never ever pray wrongly. One of the ways to pray wrongly is, Lord, we ask for your presence to be with us. That is a wrong prayer. Asking for the presence of God to be with you is a wrong prayer. Why? Because the Lord says, where two or three gathers in His name, He is in our midst. Number two, our lives, our bodies is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's already with us. So how should we pray? Acknowledge His presence. Give thanks and praise. Lord, we thank you that you're with us. 
And Lord, would you instruct us, guide us in the way we should go? Would you guide us in this meeting? Lord, I'm going to, uh, my children are coming back for dinner. Uh, would you bless us with good conversation? Lord, would you give me the grace to enjoy the meal? That's how we pray. Acknowledge His presence. Know that He is there. All right? Then we must stand continually on the promises of God. He says, He who promised is faithful and confess accordingly because every promise in the entire Bible is all confirmed and fulfilled in and through the finished works of Christ on the cross. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes and amen in Christ and through it we say amen to the glory of God. Amen to the glory of God. Stand on the promises of God. 1 Peter 5.7 Cast your worries to Him. Philippians 4, 5, and 6. Keep on casting your worries to Him. Tell God until you experience the peace of God. Now I use the word. In the past, I used the peace of God to guard my heart. I say, Lord, let your peace grip my heart and grip my mind. Grip my heart so that I don't entertain topsy-turvy emotions. Flip-flop here and there. Grip my mind. Guard it so tight I don't have to entertain all kinds of wild, wrong thoughts. Psalms 100, verse 5. The Lord is good. Don't just utter those words. We sang the song, believe that He is good. Genesis 5.20, Enoch walked with God, and the Lord took him. Psalms 100 verse 1 to 5, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and so on. So I can give you a lot, a lot of scriptures. And all this revolves around the peace of God, the provision of God, the protection of God, the presence of God, and the power of God in our lives. So our discipleship journey keep on growing. Keep on drawing near to God. Keep on confessing the the hope of our faith so that we become overcomers. What I was trying to illustrate early on, cross the 50% mark where we become an overcomer believer and not a struggling believer. When I use this phrase, struggling believer, I have, don't feel condemned, all right? And that's why this church, we say there's no condemnation. Don't compare with another brother or sister in your cell group, but keep on growing. Keep on walking towards the cross. Keep on drawing near and so forth. And lastly, the third, let us, let us consider one another in order to stir love and to stir good works. All right? This is from Hebrews 10, verse 24 to 25. Consider one another to stir up love. Why? Love covers over a multitude of sins. We love God, and we must get this right in this church, we love God because He first loved us. None of us can love God. Impossible. None of us. Don't start there. Receive and experience God's love for yourself personally. Repeat, receive and experience the love of God for yourself personally. And after we receive and experience His love, then we can love God. Then we can love other people with the love of God. Romans 5.5. 5. Because the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5. 5. So when Colossians 3.14 says, put on love, it means ask God the Father. Father God, would you pour your love in me? I can't stand that fellow. You're a rascal, you know. I feel like walloping him up. Pastor talk like that. Yes. All right. Or there was a guy who had been stealing things from the church. A, a, a diagnosed kleptomania. He was still the bicycle and so forth. So recently, not too long ago, we got a, a couple of our leaders to confront him immediately confessed, and he returned the bicycle. He all caught on our CCTV camera. We have cameras all over this church, by the way. All of you are on camera. <laughs> right. You do put on your mask? Okay, no, kidding. All right. What is he talking about? So, so uh, this guy, he finally confessed, and he confessed to his kleptomania as diagnosed because uh, we say we will just report you to the police. And again and again, and he will come. Uh, so we need to put on love to forgive him and to handle him. We could have just reported him to police. So love goes a second mile, a third mile. Then we are to consider one another to stir up good works. You see, doing good works is the other half of our destiny. All right? We all have a personal destiny. Big picture, personal destiny. Two halves of the coin. One half is to grow in Christ-likeness. He has predestined for us to grow to be like Christ. The other half is God is predestined for each of us to do good works. Good works is something that you can do, I can do in the roles and responsibilities of our lives. All right? Ephesians 2.10, God has predestined that we should go in good works, that we should be fruitful in good works. Our good works must always be guided by the Word of God. Here he says in, in 2 Timothy 3.16-17 that we need to have the Word of God 
that teaches us, gives us the doctrine, the teaching, that corrects us in our wrong thinking, how we pray, we don't pray for the presence of God, we acknowledge His presence, and so on and so forth, all right, for uh, instruction in righteousness, so that we are equipped for every good work. Many times you think that we just do good works, all right, why do we do a shoebox project and, and want to reach out and share Christ and so forth? It must be guided by the Word of God. Otherwise, we are no different from the people in the world who wants to compensate their wrongdoings or their guilt or whatever with some good works. No, our good works must always be guided by the Word of God. And thirdly, God will always enable us to do good works. He said He can cause all grace, all enabling, empowering, so that we have all sufficiency in all things and have an abundance for every good work. This is one of the prayers I pray for all our mission partners and missionaries. That God will call His grace, that they will experience sufficiency, provision, so that they can do the good works, in, whether it's from Togo, Africa, to Zimbabwe, to Lebanon, to our friends in Sweden, Nepal, India, and so forth. And so forth. I have a whole list, inclusive of people working in crew and YFC, and navigators, and focus on the family, and so on and so forth. You are on the list of our mission partners we pray regularly for, that you have all sufficiency. I remember a couple that just walked in just now, right? How they were stuck somewhere in their travels and they're back. I'm glad to see them back. You know who you are. Examples of good works. Spending time with the lonely, being a caregiver, providing practical, physical help, cooking an extra dish for someone in quarantine, sending a gift, sending a text to encourage, appreciating someone, being hands and feet, just being around, looking after the elderly, being very patient with your loved ones, being supportive, colleague, having divine conversation. You can add on to the list. What can you do to be encouraging, comforting, going the second mile? And all the good works are always, always platforms to share Christ. They are platforms to share Christ. When you do good works, you are sharing Christ. We are salt, we are light, we are ambassadors for God. So I got Jessica to put all the photographs together. This is what we did in 2021, last year. In many ministries, you can see the migrant workers and so on and so forth, all right? Some of you can see your, your photos there. And these are all the things that we do through BCS, or Bethesda Care Services. No comparison, but every one of us is important. Every one of us can do something for the Lord. Then he says, do not neglect meeting together. Christianity is co covenantal and communal. Christianity is not individuality. We always do things together. Do not reduce Christianity to only a personal relationship with Jesus. It is always in the context of the assembly, the body of Christ. So we need to meet online and on-site regularly for the purpose of connecting and engaging. Today I had lunch with uh, a, a couple, all right? They were my, uh, the people, I, I was in Shanghai, I can't remember, 206 or 205, I, I spoke at a camp of all these expatriate Singaporeans and Malaysians who work in Shanghai. They were in this expatriate church. All right, show, show me a photograph. All right. and, uh, and today, they are still serving the Lord. They are posted all over from Shanghai, then to London, and then to another Asian city. And now he, in his church, he has this Bible study with men. He got 20 over men. And how do they meet? All over Zoom because of this COVID. And she's involved in a ministry that is impacting usually 500 on Zoom, now 1,000 on Zoom on freedom in Christ, and so on and so forth. So it talks about connecting and engaging. There are people who come for Bible study or join cell group. He says many of them are superficial at the start because all are hesitant, watch and wait and see. But he says after the fifth session, after the tenth session, when the man began to confess his struggle with his wife, or he struggled with his finances, or pornography, or the lady struggling with raising up an autistic child, or having a difficult pregnancy, that's when we get real and authentic. And that's what it means, do not neglect meeting together. This is the meaning authentic, authenticity. Discipleship is about life impacting lives. Don't just come to church and after go home or go to your work and do your own thing all over again. No. Life change, that's the core of discipleship. Encourage one another, that's what we are told to do. Keep on encouraging one another. Why? Because we are looking for the blessed hope. All the more, so much more, you see the day approaching. We're not looking for the Antichrist. I'm not interested in the Antichrist. I'm not looking for the mark of the beast. That will happen after the mid-tribulation. We must get our eschatology right. I know there are pastors and leaders, they speak about this, but they don't speak with confidence. Why? Because not sure what, so many opinions. Is it pre-mid and so forth? 
I laboured for the last few years, so to speak, to do the eight-part series on the time of the end. And then the three-part series on the mysteries. Study the Word of God for yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to give you the conviction. We are looking for the blessed hope, which is why Paul says, then we comfort one another. Pandemic now. Difficult. Wear masks, limited uh, social, uh, physical gathering. Chinese New Year, still five people. It's not eight, all right? Very lechi, very lawsaw. But how do we comfort and encourage one another? We are looking for the blessed hope. Jesus is coming back for the church because Jesus is the new and living way. He told us to do these three things. Let us draw near to God. How? Fully assured in faith based on the finished works of Christ on the cross. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Hold fast, hold tightly. Try not to waver without wavering because in the world there is trouble. And let us consider one another, your brother, your sister, in your cell group, in your ministry, in your office, in your family. Consider one another. How? How do we love one another? The new commandment which Pastor Edric spoke about. Consider one another to, to stir up good works. How can we encourage and spur? And to this lunch was very good for me. Because we are all sharing and spurring and challenging one another in verticals. And say we must meet again. All right. There were just two couples at Shanghai. One couple is now in BBTC. All right. Uh, and yesterday, I was meeting with this whole group of pastors, the East Coast pastors, and I was so encouraged. I tell them, revival is here. Calvary AOG, record baptism. A brother from Bethesda community, community, record baptisms last year. Record number of people coming to the Lord. All that is happening in BBDC is happening in the Lord. And these are other brothers who have a house church in Changi Road, an offshoot of Emmanuel AOG. Migrant workers, people walking in, people who are being saved. We are living in the end of the end of times, just prior to the rapture. Revival is ready here. Watch and look at what is God doing now. Forget about what God has done in the past. That is important. The Azusa Street, the Welsh Revival, but what is God doing today? This is the state of the church. And God willing, at the end of, at the beginning of March, we're going to do a two-part series about the end time church. We are the Laodicean church. And therefore, how should we see what God is doing and flow with what God is doing?